Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. This is my 40th Christmas ministry time. 1983 is when we first started traveling and teaching for pastors around the area where we were living. And we stayed busy for three years until the church in Imperial called us. And, and so we've had the services and, and um, I spent a good portion of my, my pastoral life being surprised every year by Christmas. Yep, happens every year on the 25th of December, in case any of you need to put that on your calendar. And, and I was always surprised by major holidays. I would, I would forget Easter until somebody said, Pastor, we do anything special for Easter. I said, when is it? And so I, I, I've not always been real great at this, but I've spent 40 years studying the Christmas story off and on with the intent that I would always have something meaningful to say about Christmas. I hope and believe that this is one of those years where you're going to learn something meaningful today. If you come back tonight, you're going to learn something meaningful about, about Christmas. So open your Bibles to the book of Luke, please. Chapter 1, and let me pray for you while you're, while you're looking. Father, thank you today for this time. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We bless you, Father God. Thank you for your living word. Holy Spirit, we, we release you to move among the hearts to touch people, whether here or, or through the technology that your wisdom poured out on us. Father, thank you that we can be together as family when we're not together physically. That we can connect and know that we all stand in the same place hearing your word. So we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to spend some time today um, trying to get you to to in context understand what this story is about but I want you to first look in Luke chapter 2 I want to give you the end of the message first if you look at chapter 2 and verse 14 chapter 2 and verse 14 it says glory to God in the highest now stop right there the intent of God's gift of Jesus Christ. That's the end of this story. The intent of God's gift of Jesus Christ was meant to affect heaven. Jesus didn't just come to rescue earthlings and make everything just right for you because of the gift of Jesus, but Jesus changed heaven. Then he says, and on earth, it was God's intent for the gift of Jesus Christ to change the planet we live on. Don't miss the complexity and the amazing just magnitude of God's intent. He changed heaven. He changed the earth. And he said, and goodwill towards men. And he changed us. There are three aspects of understanding the sacrifice of Jesus Christ coming as man. Not now. I'm sorry. That was a poor choice of words. Not the sacrifice of his death, although that's a part of that. The sacrifice of of God himself coming as flesh and the word becoming incarnate among us. The Bible says in John chapter one, you don't need to turn there, just, just, you know, listen. 
in John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh. If you look at the Old Testament and, and you become a student of it, you will find around 14 to 16 times in the Old Testament that God describes himself through the, through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit and, and the writers of the Old Testament. He describes himself in very distinct and individual ways. He comes and he says, I, I am Jehovah. He says, I am Elohim. He says, I am Jehovah, and he has compound name, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God that heals you. And he, and he reveals himself through these compound names that he is all powerful, that he's always around, that he's a healer, that he's a covering or a banner. He actually says, I am the Lord God, and the word there is is, is Naka, um, it's N-A-W-K-A-W is how you pronounce it. It's N-A-K-A in, in, in the Hebrew. And it has that guttural sound in it. And he says, I am the Lord God that smiteth, which means to slap with an open hand. Now, none of us want to experience God that way. But the whole of the revelation of who God was became flesh and walked among us as Jesus. See, it affected heaven, it affected the earth, and it affected man. Okay, so let's keep this all in great context here and turn back to the beginning of the book of Luke. Chapter 1. And notice the first verse. I will try not to keep you long today, but I just got no guarantees. Yeah, somebody out in the hallway when I said I don't know what sermon I'm going to do today because I have two. And they said, well... We'll just do both. Sure you will. Verse number one, are you ready? Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. This is Luke speaking to his buddy, probably someone that, that came and was taught by him. Um, his, his name is Theopolis or something like that. Um, which, which probably means God's friend or, or something along that lines. But, but he said, as many have taken to hand to set in order these things, a narrative. Now, let me help you with this. If we just put fairly close dates on what happened with Jesus, if Jesus is born in and around the year zero, and if Jesus lives 30 years and then has three years of public ministry, and then he is crucified. All they had, as far as New Testament understanding, came to pass after Jesus' 30th, 30th year. In those three years where he affected the earth as the Savior, that all happened in a three-year period. This book that Luke writes is written some 30 years later. So if Jesus was 30 to 33 in his, in his calendar wise, somewhere around year 60 or 30 years after its happenings, Luke says, it's time to write this down in an orderly narrative. Here's the point. Throughout Christianity, God's involvement with us, is, this is how he changes us. God's involvement in us has been done through a narrative that was written down by people who were eyewitnesses. This is one of the most trustworthy stories you could ever teach your children. Because this thing has carried through. I don't know how many of you ever listened to your grandparents tell stories. 
And, and I've tried to, to do that in, in my, in my uh, uh, life. And my grandparents died quite early in, in my upbringing. Um, my last one died when I was 18 years old. And so I didn't get to hear a lot of that. But my parents tried to fill me in. And I just want to tell you something. What we tell each other as our family, sometimes, sometimes it's not terribly reliable. Come on. How many of you had a caring grandmother tell you something about parenting kids that you knew wasn't exactly right? My mother told the story to my wife as our children were in diapers. So we have four boys, two years apart, give or take. So about the time we were getting ready to get done with diapers, we bought more diapers. And my mother, as the helpful mother-in-law that she was, announced to my wife that her two boys were potty trained at nine months. Right. I have one favorite picture from my childhood. I got a gun belt for Christmas. Now, contrary to how I look presently, I didn't used to have any hips, okay? And so they bought me a gun belt, which I could not keep up. So they bought me suspenders for my gun belt. I was a good looking dude. I wish I would have remembered. I could have brought that picture and could have put it up there. But I'm getting to the part that, see, I, I am remembering this. Just, I don't remember doing it, but I remember the picture. And it wasn't until I got married that my wife pointed out why the picture exists. They took a picture of me in my gun belt with my suspenders and my little cowboy hat on. And I had wet my pants and that showed up in the they weren't taking a picture of how cute I was they took a picture to embarrass me for the rest of my life my point is that many of us relay certain stories and my kids may say that oh yeah well one time grandpa you know he got out this picture and he thought he was so cool and I was actually probably in my 20s before Tracy said you peed your pants. It ruined the picture. I mean, I thought I was so cool. You know, with my suspenders, my gun belt on here like this and quick draw. You know, when you don't have a, when you don't have a waist to go over your belt like I do today or hips to hold it up, when you pull your guns out, they don't come out of the holster. They just keep coming up. You know, the, the whole thing just keeps coming up. I wasn't cool, but I thought I was, right? And so part of the difficulty in, in, in using this narrative about Jesus Christ is that nothing else in our life has lasted like this has. No one tells a completely true story like God himself does. So you see, when you're celebrating Christmas and everybody's got gifts and if, if you've got kids that are breathing they have asked you a multiple amount of times, can we open at least one present? Many of them got up this morning. Can we open them this morning before we go to church? Well, if we can't do it then, how many of you are already holding them off? We are at our house. Maybe, if, and here's the threat, right? Maybe if you're good. Do you suppose... Do you suppose that Joseph and Mary ever said to Jesus, hey, 
Hey, pay attention here. If you're good. Wait. Now, I have a different relationship with who Jesus was as a child because there's not much in the Bible about that. But somewhere around 12, they were amazed at his, at his, at his wisdom and at his stature and things of God. I just imagine Jesus looking at his parents when, when they say, if you can be good. And as any 12 year old would do, duh, I'm the son of God. <laughs> See, that's my movie. I don't know that he did that. My, my point again is you have to recognize that nothing you've ever read in all your life has the staying power and the ability to affect your life like this book has. See, that's the context of his story, that he wrote it down so that you wouldn't have to depend on the oral tradition. How many of you know oral tradition? Oral traditions don't always last well. I understand that my mother's father was an expert horseman. I did not know that. He was a horse breaker in the early 1900s. People would bring their horses from all over the place to have my grandfather break their horse. I never knew that about him. Here's what I did know. When my mother was 10 years old, my grandpa sold her horse. I found my mother died in her early 80s and in her hope chest, I found the receipt for selling that horse. She'd saved it for 70 plus years. It meant something to her, but she was offended about it. <laughs> so she, <laughs> she saved that. <laughs> I told all the family members, started the oral tradition. And as some of my family is sitting here hearing this, they may be hearing it in what they think is the first time. Because oral tradition doesn't last well. But living tradition lasts forever. That's what this is. Notice he says in verse number two, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding. Who writes this about themselves? Perfect understanding. Now I've already picked on Logan and Jenny. But how many of you old gray-haired people got a few marriage years under your belt are still saying you don't have perfect understanding about marriage? How can you write this about yourself without an understanding of what the Holy Spirit has done in your life? See, when he said glory to God in the highest, it changed heaven. When he said peace on earth, it changed earth. But when he said goodwill to man, and then he says he had perfect understanding of this. Right. Perfect understanding. I just find that so amazing. It literally means not that he had this perfect, but he was totally convinced and confident in what he was writing. This is who Jesus Christ is to Luke. And God chose over 2,000 years to save this for us. Great context. To write you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, this is the end of verse 3, that you may know the certainty. 
that you may know the foolproof proof, the certainty, the absolute truth of what happened. When you read the Christmas story, we're not reading it out of a tradition that says, oh yeah, we, you know, we, we had this Jesus and he came and there was no room. If you come back tonight, I'll tell you about that story. God used three sets of uneducated, ungodly people to announce what he was doing. I just find that fascinating. He didn't use the church of the day. He didn't use the religious leaders of the day. And he did not use educated people. To me, that means we are all safe. Because we were never any of those. He said the certainty, the safety. It, it, it literally says there's a security from the peril. If the world knew this, they, they'd never refuse Jesus. The security of uh, the, the safety or the security from peril. So many people believe that accepting Jesus Christ and living that out costs us safety. You live in a country right now that's trying to argue over whether or not we should publicly confess and you should really, according to most people, just keep your salvation experience to yourself. Because what will everybody think? How much difficulty will they, will they give you because of your overzealous, religiously fanatic belief in Jesus Christ? And Luke said to his friend, Theophilus, he said, this will keep you secure from peril. The power of God's intent is enclosed in the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's how it affects the earth, and that's how it affects you. See, in three verses or four verses, we've started to see how God intended to do this. Notice what else it says. You would know the certainty of those things which you were instructed. See, this is that oral teaching again. The disciples, keep in mind, not everybody went to school, first of all. So... Jesus came during a time where largely only wealthy people or religious people had any sort of, of, you know, standard or full education. And so written word wasn't necessarily as important. And I think that they did that on purpose, the kings and that kind of stuff, because then when their written orders, when they would send a, 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 a squire out to the town square to announce these things, their edicts were, were like a god themselves. And that's why they probably did it. So notice then, he said, here's what you've been instructed. See, Luke considered the foundation understanding of who Jesus is to be the single most important ordered story that we should all have at our disposal. That's why he wrote the book. Now, everybody, everybody, Luke connected the dots. And towards the middle of this chapter, we have the story of John the Baptist. Let's keep it in context for just a second. Elizabeth and Mary, Elizabeth is Zacharias's wife. She was old and barren. Mary was a cousin or a relative. And because, you know, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't, weren't able to keep up with each other. And so when we see this story, we see that God comes along 
to do exactly what Old Testament prophecy said. I'm going to send somebody in the spirit of Elijah ahead to announce the coming of my Messiah. It was John the Baptist who did that. But you see, for that to work, you actually have to be so fully convinced that you can actually say, this is what God prophesied and it's now being fulfilled in our midst. Why do you think we celebrate Christmas? Why is it that we take one day a year, likely not even the day that Jesus was born? Why do you think we take one day and celebrate who Jesus is and why he's here? How did God do that across societal, normal, cultural, environmental boundaries? And we celebrate Jesus. About one-third of the world confesses some understanding of Christianity and who Jesus is. Even those who don't believe in traditional Christianity believe that Jesus was a good guy. It's even, even the people who are wrong can still see Jesus as a good guy. The Muslims think Jesus was a prophet. Well, that's true, he was, but he was also much more. So if you add all that up, almost 60% or a little bit more than 60% of the world believes that Jesus was something special. Do you see the impact he had on the world? It's pretty astounding that you could get, listen, we as nations and as governments do not agree with each other. There are no significant agreements among the nations of our world as strong as their potential understanding of who Jesus is. How did God do that? Look with me, if you will, in the fifth verse. There was in the days of Herod. Herod was not a a nice guy. The king of Judea. A certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah or whoever. I'm just not going to not try and uh, pronounce these ones. I don't know how to do. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous. Now, before you enter into all of this, please understand that for now a whole generation, this priest and his wife are still being considered righteous by the people who are writing by them. That has to be done by the Holy Spirit. In verse number six, they are both righteous, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. Wow, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. (laughs) Let me tell you a little bit more about the context. At the end of the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, God didn't say anything else to them after the last verse of Malachi for 400 years until what you're about to hear in this passage. God was quiet for 400 years. He didn't speak. You say, how do you know that? Because they told me, right? See, I told you the first part of the verse so that you would trust what God does in his Bible. He was quiet for 400 years. They kept alive the living tradition of a savior that was coming. 
for 400 years. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how God did that. Because I can't necessarily process all the things that come forward from the generation or two that I know. But how about six or seven generations, maybe eight generations of people and the story and the expectation, the thing that lived inside of the Jewish people was a belief that a Messiah was coming. So much so that when Jesus showed up, even though they didn't recognize him in John chapter five, they said, let's take him by force and make him our king. See, they weren't looking for exactly the right thing because when Jesus came as a baby, it took a different understanding for them to recognize. And God used a scientist to prove it to them. Verse 8. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zacharias, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Let me help you again. The priest had one potential opportunity in their lifetime to burn incense. One opportunity. Once you did it for God, you never got to do it again. And that came through the drawing of lots. Basically, who gets the long or the short straw? In this year, almost like magic, Zacharias is the guy that burns incense. Because God needed to get him into the temple to announce to him something special is going to happen. And it's going to happen based on your prayer. I'm not sure any of you have ever seen this. And an angel came, stood by the right side of the altar. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell on him. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer is heard. Now, you can think about this for just a second with me. The way that those verbs get conjugated in, in, in those languages is the prayer you once prayed has been heard or heard once the prayer prayed. Here's the point. By context... It's entirely possible that Zacharias had stopped praying for a child because of their well-advanced years, years. He and his wife had given up on the idea of having children. But God sent an angel because of his understanding of the plan, sent an angel when he, by straw drawing, became the incense burner. When he found himself in the position of burning the incense to create the smoke that, that represents the Holy Spirit, Zacharias was the guy. And he said, your prayer, the prayer that you prayed and potentially have stopped praying was heard by God. Okay. Remember when I told you that the gift of Jesus Christ affected heaven, affected earth, and affected you? When you pray, God led word based prayers, they never fall to the ground. God hears them and holds them as a memorial. Acts chapter 10 says Cornelius, who was a Gentile, 
was, was, was visited by Peter who was up at noontime and God dropped a blanket down with unclean animals on it. And he said, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, I'll never do that. Those are unclean animals. He did it three times. And then he said, go down and go with the guy who's coming to see you. And he went with him and he took him to a man's house named Cornelius. And he announced to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have built a memorial in heaven. Can you imagine that God, essentially, I'm putting human terms on him now. Can you imagine that every day God gets up, he looks over the stone memorials that he's built because of what you've prayed? <laughs> Do you actually believe that God hears your prayers? Amen. Let me take another step. Do you actually believe that God builds a remembrance that can be seen in heaven? Right? Okay. Are you ready? When you see him, you'll be like him. So it's entirely possible that when you're wandering around in heaven, that you walk by the memorials that were built by God himself over the prayers that are being prayed on earth today. Okay. I knew you wouldn't get it. Y'all look at me like, oh, big deal. Do you understand that when you pray in alignment with God's will, with God's word, that God sets about because of his word. His word will never return to him void. It will always accomplish what he sent it for. It will always be prosperous in the things that he sent it for. So when you pray in line with him, God builds a memorial so that all heaven can see what his creation is planning based on the word. Don't ever stop praying prayers. Now, the other side of that is when you pray a prayer that is unanointed without the word, it falls to the ground and dies. All you confession people that think you're building things by saying it the right way, you're being goofy. Because many of the people in here, whether by faith or by ignorance, tried to confess positive things and they never got made because we were always looking for our prayers to make a difference on earth rather than a difference in heaven. Because then we become the conduit to bring heaven to earth. The example that God the Father gave us through Jesus Christ is that his word spoken in heaven became incarnate and came to earth. I'm not saying that you're exactly like Jesus, but you are a carnate example, a, a word becoming flesh example of God's will on the earth. That's what Jesus did by the free gift. I need to hurry. Your prayer is heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you should call his name John. Which by the way was a really big break from tradition. You didn't pull a name out of the sky and call somebody something. Names always came from your family lineage so that everybody could, could follow what you were doing. And the next few verses talk about who this baby John will be. Verse 17. He will also go before him, him being Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. If you turn back to Malachi chapter 4, if you can put this up for me, please, Jeremy. I told you I was only going to use Luke and then I'm not, now I'm lying. Um, if you can put up Malachi chapter 4, I think verse 6. And I believe it's the last verse of the Old Testament. And it says, and he will turn 
the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now look at our verse in Luke again. The first thing that God instructs the angel to say about what's about to happen is that he will turn the hearts of the father, the hearts of the children back to the father. The last thing he said became the first thing he said after 400 years. You think it's important? Okay. He turned us as children. He turned our hearts as children back to the father's heart. He turns the hearts of our children back to the father's heart. He completely and totally affects mankind by the prayer of one person creating a memorial before God and being sent by an angel back to say, hey, this is what your prayer did. The last thing God said and the first thing he said after 400 quiet years were the same. And Zacharias, verse 18, said to the angel, how shall I know this? How shall I know this? <laughs> okay. Remember in the first part of this, this talk I was giving, I, I tried to show you how that, that Luke sat down to write this in an orderly fashion so we could trust it. God did the same thing in the Old Testament. Zacharias should have been an expert in the Old Testament. He should have been looking for some child coming in the spirit and power of Elijah to announce the Messiah. But when the angel said, hey, your kid is going to be it, all he could talk about was how old his wife was. Let me point something out to you. If an angel shows up at your house, please don't tell him about your circumstances of life since he likely already knows. God sent the angel to Zacharias anyway. But what does Zechariah do? He says, he says, listen, you got a really old problem here. A really old problem. My wife is too old to have children. Now, how many of you know what happens to Zechariah after, Zacharias after this little this little thing with the, with the angel. He says, the angel says to him, this way it's going to be. And to prove that to you, you're going to be deaf or mute. And Luke, and Luke uh, verse 62 of the same chapter suggests that he's also deaf because his family makes sign language to him. But anyway, he says, you're going to be, you're going to be, you're, you're going to be mute. You're not going to be able to speak until your child is born. The child has not even been conceived yet, and yet the angel is talking about it as fact. Okay. The actual happening hasn't happened yet, yet heaven is talking about it as a fact. <laughs> See, you don't realize that when you pray the word of God, you're praying the facts of heaven. Christmas proves that to us. When we talk about Mary, I don't know that I'll have time today to talk about Mary, but can you imagine if your 13-year-old daughter, and I'm only making that up, she was a young teenager, she was only betrothed, which was a contract uh, arranged between parents that Joseph would marry Mary by the arrangement of their parents. And in fact, the Bible tells us when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant by God, who believes that? Joseph thought to put her away secretly. He was an honorable man and an angel stopped him. When you can't understand what God's doing, remember 
You're the one by speaking God's word that set this in motion. Some of the circumstances you're in are because that you set in motion through your prayers. God built a memorial, a sign in the spirit realm, letting everybody know this is what's going to happen in relationship to these people or this person. You spoke the word of God and it created a memorial. Man, if you could, if you could get this with the evidence that Jesus, John the Baptist and Jesus become these perfect examples of how this happened. You say, well, but pastor, you don't understand. I'm not John the Baptist. I understand that. I'm not foolish. You don't understand. God's not a respecter of individuals. He didn't just choose John the Baptist. He was showing us the principle of how heaven works so that we could live. Remember, he affected heaven, he affected the earth, and he affected you. He shows how heaven works so that we bring that to earth so it will affect us. Man, I tell you, it's just so powerful that I just can't hardly get my mind around the whole picture here. Now, notice it says there in the 18th verse, Zacharias said to the angel, this happened 30 years ago based on how long it took to write the book. Okay, so it's 30 years old, but John the Baptist was born before Jesus. So we're 35 years or 65 years How many of you are tired of waiting 65 seconds or 65 minutes or even 65 hours or even 65 days, 65 years this was put in place. Now let's keep going backwards. So he writes about this. So, so we're going to have to put 35 years on Zacharias at the end of Jesus's life. We're going to have to go back and, and put about 35 years for when he spoke these things. And then we're gonna to have to go back into his life when he became a priest and say, before that is when he prayed it. Let's just say that he got married like they did in that day, 15, 16, 18 years old. No kids, no kids, no kids. And now 60 years after the birth of Jesus, 60 some years after the birth of John the Baptist, we still have to go back another 20 years give or take, to find Zacharias and Elizabeth promised to themselves to raise a family. They're likely in their 80s when the angel shows up. It's a laugher. The angel shows up, are you kidding me? And all John can say is, okay, right, you're visiting the wrong address. My wife's like, like 80. In fact, he says, she's well advanced. How nice is that? I mean, really, you're saying, uh, she's really old. He's saying, what do you say? He said, it's not possible. So God shut Zacharias's mouth so he couldn't speak against his own prayer. <laughs> I just think that's... First of all, I think that's hilarious. You prayed it. God's doing it. And he shuts your mouth so you can't talk against it. Can you imagine by sign language having to explain to you what's happened in, explain to everyone else what's happened in your life? Oh yeah, that's just like what some of you have to do 
with your friends when you become a Christian. You have to explain why you're different. Did you know that you're different? Many of you here, I mean, I look around and I see some of you. I was with your grandparents, Nate, after their 63rd wedding anniversary. And I watched your grandpa stroke your grandma's hands while she was dying. I'll guarantee you, guarantee you, he prayed for you as a grandchild. And some of what's happening in your life right now is because of what he and your grandma prayed. And God said, look at there, he agreed with me, let's build a sign. Right? And so you walk by grandpa's house in heaven and, he's, and you, you see the memorial that God wrote out because of the prayers of your grandpa. And now we wonder why Nate is the way he is. I can tell you that in heaven, the language started. Maybe even before the grandpa I knew. You say, oh, it can't be that organized. Okay, let's do this. If you don't think it's that organized, then explain to me through coincidence and luck how people get where they are. See, when we don't know what God is doing, we just say, you know, I guess it's this way and it's that way and it must be because, you know, well, that's not an answer. I'm giving you an answer. That things were set in motion because of the gift of Jesus Christ. And we live in his image, in the image of the Father through the Son. We live in his image and do what we saw him do. Yep. God's nature declares that he can be believed. There's nothing else to prove it other than who he is. God's nature, who God is, declares he's believable. So rather than saying, well, I just don't know how stuff happens. Listen, wake up, smell the coffee, come to the party here. The reason that things happen is because God's word, living word has been spoken, heard by heaven, a memorial of such was built before God himself on what was being planned. 63 years of marriage. He's been gone a long time. Grandma's been gone a long time, you know, probably 10, 15 more years of that. It started before that because somebody, somebody, prayed for them too. I am a product of my grandmother on the client side, who was the youngest of 13. And to my knowledge, she's the only one that had a Christian heritage. I have since found out that my mother's natural mother, who died in 1957 when I was six months old, called a faith healer on the radio. And my mom, at the time that she died, didn't have tonsils because God removed them at her prayer that she solicited from an evangelist on the radio. You can say, well, I don't believe that. I don't care. I don't care whether you believe that or not. I'm telling you, God's word can be trusted. Jesus is the product of our abilities to trust what God's word says. You say, well, but I just don't want to give him that much control. You simply cannot do what God has planned for you as well as he can.
You just as well trust him. I'll just tell you right now. I had no intention. I mean zero intention of being in ministry. Before I was really born again, even right after I was born again, all I ever saw were, were, were little teeny pastors with pencil necks. I thought, are there any, are there any, any, any people that have a different testimony that, you know, and it's, it's a great testimony. If you're 10 years old and God calls you into ministry, man, bless your heart. But when I was 10 years old, I was still going to be a professional basketball player. I had no interest, no understanding. And when I couldn't do that physically, I decided that I'm going to be one rich dude. And so I went about doing that. But God had plans for me. Potentially, in my knowledge, potentially from my grandmother who died in 1976 or my other grandmother who died in 1957. Because at some point, they prayed a Bible-based believing prayer that God says, yep, that's exactly what I got planned for them. See, some of you don't even think that God was involved in getting you here today. Some of you just came because you're seeing somebody for Christmas and they brought you to their crazy church. You're going, I just don't know. When is he going to stop? I was lost 20 minutes ago and now I'm worse. Let me help you again. I'm done. Come on, music team. Let me help you again. When the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ came, the angels said what God had planned all along. Glory to God in the highest. When Jesus' birth was announced, he said, glory to God in the highest. That was God's plan. That was God's intent. That was God saying, I'm glad you recognized this is what I'm going to do. That was written in heaven based on what we now know. And he said, peace on earth. Thank you, Lord. Please don't think just because our world is a bit turmoiled right now that there's not peace on earth. Peace only exists in the relationship of Jesus Christ. Only. And goodwill. God is not thinking about how to whack you every time you step out of line. He actually has good will towards you. That's what Jesus did. Your prayers come up as a memorial before God. You say, oh, I don't know, Pastor, if I believe that. It's okay. I believe enough for both of us. Because I'm a product. I'm a product of God's word being spoken and becoming fleshly in orientation towards me. I still believe that God wants to incarnate his word in you and I. Give his word feet, hands, hearts, heads. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, would you please? Father, we thank you today for this opportunity to look with such great depth into what you've done. We see, Father, that it, it, it could be, it's possible, that we're stretching to find your truth. But I also know, Father, it is not possible to exaggerate who you are. You always have more planned for us. You're always bigger than we think you are. See, you're, you're, not, you're not governed by our circumstances. 
So when we see you as small, it's because our circumstances are being seen as so big. When you see you as powerless, it's because our circumstances seem to have so much power. When we see it as hopeless, it's because our circumstance is so dire that we don't know how it could be hopeful. But you see, I believe, Father, that you're still making your word come alive in us so we might walk in the fullness of what you designed from time beginning for us to have. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.